This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample. I'm Dina Marie, your host, and today we'll be talking about the title of Our Lady, Mary Seat of Wisdom. We hear that mentioned quite often on this program. So Archbishop, as we begin, would you please lead us with prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have revealed to us your heart of mercy through your Son, Jesus, who came into the world to reveal that mercy to us through his passion, death, and resurrection. So, Father, we ask you to pour out your wisdom upon all of us as we participate in this radio program. We ask that we be filled with your wisdom and discernment and understanding. So we place this time, Father, in your hands, as always, asking you to lead us and guide us. And all this we ask through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I love that title. There's so many in the uh, litany of Our Lady of Loretto, all of these different Mm -hmm. titles. But there's also what I understand, an image that's connected to this Our Lady seat of wisdom. You've talked a little bit about it in the past, but I thought just to get a better yeah. understanding. Well, you know, there's the, the, I'm not an expert by any means on, on the history of uh, our Blessed Mother, Holy Mary, under this title, Seat of Wisdom, which is from the, the litany of Loretto. But because it, it, its, it's, its origins are somewhat, um, I don't want to say obscure, but aren't, aren't real clear. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's this there's this connection between the the wisdom literature mm-hmm. of the Old Testament and Mary uh, as 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 the mother of God in the New Eve, and it's this weird not weird but it's interesting. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't say anything that the church does is weird, although sometimes we do some weird things. But <laughs> uh, it's interesting that on on this Marian feast of uh, of our Lady, of the Seat of Wisdom and other Marian feasts. Mm-hmm. Not just this feast, because I don't think this feast is on the calendar anymore um, under this title on June 8th. But many Marian feasts, we get readings from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Sirach, Proverbs. So we have these images of wisdom used on Marian feasts. And and I think part of the reason for that is that in, in the Old Testament texts, the, what we call the wisdom literature, and, and I think you know people maybe don't understand uh, some of the the 
nature of the of the of the scriptures, especially the old old covenant, the Old Testament. There are different genres, if you will, of of literature in the Old Testament. You know, there are historical books, there are prophetic books, uh, there are um, uh, songs. You know, we have, of course, the Psalms themselves. There are parables. There's there's literature that's meant to be parable. But then there's this body of scripture in the Old Testament, what we call the wisdom literature. There's the book of wisdom. There's the book of Sirach. Uh, there's the book of Proverbs. This is considered a, a specific kind of Old Testament literature that is classified as wisdom literature because it, 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 it extols the virtue of wisdom uh, as, as a great value, a great virtue for one to have. If you remember, you remember the whole story of, of King Solomon, uh, you know, when God is pleased with Solomon and he comes to him and says, you know, ask for whatever you want, right? Now, Solomon could have asked for all sorts of material wealth and power, uh, but he didn't. He said he asked for wisdom, and God was so pleased that he had asked for wisdom so that he would be a wise and a spiritual father and leader for his people. So uh, wisdom is extolled in the scriptures. It's considered one of the greatest virtues a person can have is wisdom. Uh, in fact, you know, even, even talking about the law of Moses, you know, uh, we, we read things in, in the Old Testament like other nations will look at this people and, and see our laws and our way of living and they will, they will say, what a wise people this is that has a God who loves them so. Wisdom is actually, it's personified in the Old Testament. I think this is where the connection to Mary comes in, um, <clears throat> is that wisdom is personified. It's, it's, in other words, it's, it's given the nature of a, of a person. And in the wisdom literature, uh, wisdom in, in, in its personification is, is, is personified in the feminine. So when we read wisdom literature, uh, you know, we, we will reference things that talk about her, Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, so so wisdom, the wisdom of God is personified in the Old Testament in the in the feminine, and so I think that was why there was this natural connection between Mary, who is of course beloved, uh, and, and among Christian people, uh, especially in the ancients, you know, and, and, and this connection of of Mary um, and wisdom really goes dates back as, as far as the 8th century, so the 700s. So certainly by then, theologians, fathers of the church, were making this connection between the wisdom of the Old Testament, these, this extolling of wisdom as a great virtue, as something wonderful to possess in the, in the feminine, and connecting that with Mary, uh, as maybe Mary is, uh, you know, in some sense, wisdom, is, is the seed of wisdom. So that's why I think, you know, as I said, the, the scriptures oftentimes on Marian feast days draw from the wisdom literature in this feminine personification of wisdom. Right. Now, there is, there are, and then there are these images uh, of Our Lady, uh, the seat of wisdom. And, uh, and it's always depicted, uh, Mary depicted with Jesus. Uh, oftentimes, uh, and there's a lot of iconography uh, of, of this in the past, and even, even statuary. Uh, in the past, but usually the iconography has uh, a Mary seated with Christ on her lap. Sede sapientiae. 
in Latin, the seat of wisdom. So beyond, I mean, because I think, you know, on on deeper analysis and deeper study, scripture study, and really theological enlightenment uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we see that the wisdom referred to in in uh, in the Old Testament uh, as really being of God. It's it's God, and in in a in a certain sense, we come to a realization that that Christ, the Son of God, made flesh, the eternal Word made flesh, is wisdom, is the wisdom of God. So really, the wisdom, even though it's personified in the Old Testament in the feminine. Uh, that really the the wisdom really is culminates and refers to Christ, and so this image if you get if you get the image now and you you have to visualize this you can those of you who have the ability to do that can Google uh, images and bring up images of divine wisdom or the seat of wisdom I should say, and you'll see that it, it's 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 obvious here is Mary seated, mm-hmm. and who is on her lap, but divine wisdom Christ incarnate the eternal Word the Logos the eternal word of God made flesh. So on her seat, on her lap, is wisdom. So she is the seat of wisdom because she brings Christ into the world. She is the Christ bearer, the Theotokos. She is the bearer of, of the Logos, the eternal word, wisdom. Uh, so really, I think, Sede Sapientiae, the seat of wisdom, is really more refers to her as the mother of wisdom, the mother of, of the Christ, who is God's wisdom incarnate. Uh, rather than herself being seen as as the divine wisdom or as the wisdom that that the Old Testament really refers to, um, but it's again it's a little murky the the history here and the connection is a little murky. But I think in a more uh, uh, more recent interpretation here of Sadie Sapiencia, seat of wisdom, is that she is the, she is the seat of of the, of the incarnate Word, the Logos Christ, and you know. Uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a, a beautiful image of, of, of the seat of wisdom myself. And I know that when I've talked with some of our seminarians, both at St. Patrick's and at Mount Angel, they've mentioned this particular yes. title is very present and mm-hmm. prominent, particularly on seminaries. I've seen somewhere that she is the patroness of Catholic institutions, particularly those that are forming our men for the priesthood in, in seminaries. So this particular seat of wisdom is found in our seminaries right. and those places that form our priests. Yeah, Mary under her title, Sede Sapientiae, the seat of wisdom, is, is she is the patroness of, of Catholic institutions of higher learning. So Catholic universities, Catholic colleges, uh, she is the patroness because uh, she is the seat of wisdom. Yes. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully when we're uh, being educated in, in Catholic universities and, and colleges, we are being educated in, in the wisdom of our faith and the wisdom of Christ, Christ as, as the incarnate wisdom, if you will. But it's, it does have a special connection to seminaries. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the image that I mentioned a minute ago that I have of the, of the Sede Sapientiae, the seat of wisdom, is a very particular image of, of the seat of wisdom. It, it's an interesting image because Mary is not seated in this image, the statue that I have. She's standing with a crown on her head, but she's holding Christ, as she often is seen, in, in, her, in her arms. Uh, but he is seated there. He is seated there in her arms. So she still is the seat of wisdom. And, and this image, this, this statue that I have, came from a, a seminary that is now closed in Michigan. And the seminary, as many seminaries in this country were, and some still are, were, were run, if you will, by uh, the Sulpicians, 
which is a, a, an order of priests. They're actually diocesan priests who are become part of the Order of Saint Sulpice, and their special mission is is in seminary work. So a lot of seminaries, either previously or or now, are under the guidance and the and the and the the governance, if you will, and the and the care of the Sulpicians. And this in all Sulpician seminaries, this particular statue and image of the Sede Sapienza, the Seat of Wisdom, was used. Uh, and so. Our seminarians, for instance, down at St. Patrick's in, in Menlo Park, uh, up until some years ago, that was a seminary that was staffed by the Sulpicians. So there's a large statue of, of the Sede Sapienza as you come in and before you go in the chapel, and it's the exact same image that's in my office here, mm-hmm. because it mine also came from a Sulpician seminary, St. John's Provincial Seminary in, in, in back in Michigan. And what happened is, it, it was interesting, at least what I was told, I mean, the history of this statue that I have in, in possession, uh, every student's room had had this statue in the room. There would be a little niche in the wall mm-hmm. uh, in every student's room, and in that niche was Sede Sapiencia, the Seat of Wisdom, our Holy Mother Mary, interceding for and watching over the studies of our seminarians in their formation for the priesthood. Sadly, in the iconoclasm of the 70s, this was considered, uh, you know, passe, if you will. And so all of these statues is sad. It's just so sad. We're all removed from the rooms of the mm-hmm. students. And they were all f- put up in the attic in storage. Uh, I just, I just, when I think back on that period of time, it still baffles me what we, what we were doing, what we were <laughs> thinking. Uh, but yeah, sort of in this iconoclastic way, getting rid of these images. And it was old-fashioned and, you know, uh, too devotional. So they got rid of all the statues, put them up in the attic. But then what they did was they said to the alums, the alumni of the seminary, you know, hey, you know, if any of you guys, you might remember these being in your rooms when you studied here. If any of you would like one of these statues, you know, and if you happen to be down here in in Plymouth, you know, you can swing by and pick one up, you know. And so a priest back in my previous diocese, Marquette, uh, picked one of them up. Uh, His name was Father Henry Mercier. Please pray for him. He's deceased many, many years now. Uh, But uh, he was... uh, he was a friend of mine. He was actually, I was served a, a, as a deacon under him uh, during my deacon summer, if you will, back in the diocese. And that was actually the summer my father was dying. So, uh, But Father Mercy and I got to be pretty close. And so when he died, he died suddenly. His sister, who was a religious sister, a sister of St. Joseph of Carondelet, gave me this, this statue because uh, she knew that I had admired it. And he had it in his house because he had gone to the seminary. He'd picked one up. He had it in his house. I admired it. So when he died, uh, his sister gave it to me. So I've had it, gosh, probably since early 1990s. I don't remember exactly what year he died, 93, 94 maybe. Uh, So I've had the statue, and it's always been in my office. I've always kept it in my office. Uh, And and so there she is, the seat of wisdom, always always watching over me and and as she watches over, you know, all of our our priests and our seminarians, uh, certainly in formation. Well, and I, as you explain that, Archbishop, I think about in every room we talk about having a Catholic household and having a crucifix, you know, having that presence of Christ. This is my identity, and if I'm raising a family, I want to have in my child's room, I want to have in our living room, in a place of prominent view, an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, a place for Our Lady to be seen and to have a place of prayer, and how important it would be in our institutions that are teaching Catholic education, whether it is a, a K-12 through or our high schools, but particularly in our seminaries, that these are little things that remind us of our identity with Christ. And and maybe each one of us can do a little bit to make those things be more prevalent, but I guess it would start right in our own homes, wouldn't it? 
Yes, you know, I, I think that, you know, for this image uh, of the seat of wisdom to be so prominent in Catholic seminaries, hopefully maybe Catholic universities as well, uh, uh, and colleges, you know, I, I think about, uh, you know, some, some of the men really struggle, you know, in their academic formation uh, in the seminary. You know, it, it can be, it's, 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 it should be and is a fairly rigorous uh, formation that they receive intellectually in their studies. You know, you have to remember that, you know, it's a four-year postgraduate degree, you know, so you're, you're graduating with a, with a college degree, and then it's four years beyond that. You know, that's a long grad school. <laughs> you know, so it's, it can be fairly rigorous. And I know some men struggle. And so, you know, to be able to, to go before Our Lady, uh, the seat of wisdom, and to have pray to her and to have her intercede for us and to have that image there to remind us that she's there for us, she's our mother, and she's praying for us uh, and, and, and helping us along to help us understand her son and the depths of, of the mysteries of our faith revealed in him, the, the, the true wisdom of God, uh, I think is powerful. But you know, as you say, these images are always reminders to us of God's presence you know, in our life. Reminders, sacramentals, we call them. You know that that they're not sacraments. They don't they don't confer grace in the way that that the sacraments of the church do. The seven sacraments, but the sacramentals, they can prepare us for the graces of the sacraments, and they can extend for us the graces of the sacrament through that devotion. And so these these reminders of our faith need to be present around us. Everything we learn, everything we experience, we experience through the senses. And that's why this iconoclastic period that we went through in the 70s when images were removed from, from places like I just said, the seminary, images were removed from our churches. Uh, you know, you see these contrasts sometimes between churches, the before and after, where you had these beautifully decorated churches filled with, with beautiful sacred art uh, and architecture. And in, during this iconoclastic period, it was all just cleaned out whitewashed uh, and, and removed. And, and it, it it's, creates great poverty of spirit, I think. Uh, and we, we are very impoverished. And, uh, you know, I think that these images are always reminders to us of, of the realities of our faith and the saints and, and the images of Christ and the, and the images from the life of Christ and the saints. Um, but in our homes, it has to start in our homes. I mean, if, if you had a guest in your home if you had a guest in your home, now we might have things in our bedrooms, <laughs> you know, crucifix or a holy picture or whatever it might be. But if you had a guest in your home that was over for an evening and they were going to be in your living or family room area, in your dining area, maybe your kitchen area, would they ever know that this is a Catholic home? Is there anything there that would, would say to them, oh, this is, this is the home of a Christian. This is a Catholic home because obviously the faith is important to them. Of course, if you walked into my house, you'd you'd have a hard time finding a a piece of art that isn't sacred. But uh, you know, I don't expect that in everybody's home. But we should, it's a witness. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder. They remind us of these things. Is when we look upon these images uh, of the reality behind them. But also, they're a witness when we do have guests and others. You know, the 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 medals that we wear, for instance, for perhaps, or or things we wear on our our lapel, or uh, whatever it might be. I mean, I wear, uh, I I wear. I'm I'm kind of loaded up, so You're to a speak. I'm, I'm a walking uh, <laughs> sacramental. I mean, I you know, I I wear the uh, 
uh, where the what we call it's something that I've had. Gosh, I've had one of these probably since childhood. Uh, the the four way cross medal, you mm-hmm. know, that's got it's got everything on it. It's got the crucifix. It's got the miraculous medal. It's got the Saint Christopher medal. It's got the Sacred Heart. Uh, so the scapular medal's built into it. You know, it's it's just a great all all around medal. And then it has those beautiful words inscribed on the back. I am a Catholic. Please call a priest. You know, so if I'm in an accident or something, but I also wear the Saint Benedict. Uh, mm-hmm. Jubilee medal, uh, which is a very powerful medal when properly blessed against uh, Satan and 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 the and the demons. And I wear the brown scapular, Mount Carmel. I'm a former secular Carmelite, uh, uh, and is actually formally invested with the scapular as part of that. So, you know, these but these things always remind me mm-hmm. of who I am, by whom I am loved, and by whom I seek you know intercession and protection. And these are these are all beautiful, you know, wonderful things. And I, and I think we just need to, we need to make greater greater use of these things. And 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 uh, because we're we're incarnate beings, and through the eyes uh, and, and our other senses, we experience the world. And 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 these things can speak to us powerfully of our faith. Right, right. And just in the few minutes that we have, Archbishop, as we started talking about Mary's seat of wisdom, the culture wants us to be intelligent and to use our wisdom for power or to acquire things. But wisdom, understanding, knowledge as a Christian, as one who loves God, who wants to follow the example of Christ, there's a different way that we use our wisdom or that we acquire wisdom maybe just some guidance and especially for our young people who are being taught whether it's a public school or a private school what the pursuit of knowledge is really all about when we want to live our lives for christ well what what does scripture say and i i I, i'm not a i'm not a, a chapter verse scripture quarter i apologize for that but you know what does the scripture say uh, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the lord yeah the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, not fear, a servile fear or a, a fear of, of uh, you know, God, some ogre in the sky waiting to get us, um, but, but a reverential fear of the Lord, a fear to offend him uh, and a recognition of ourselves as creature and God as a creator. So I think that what we need to realize is that the Lord is the fount of all wisdom and anything that is revealed in science Anything that is revealed in, in, in human study that is true is a participation in divine wisdom. In other words, uh, there's nothing apart from God. And I think this is a real challenge for young people. Um, and, and statistically, uh, and surveys and everything else that we have, we know this is a major issue for younger generations. This, this perceived conflict between uh, scientific truth and faith, that somehow the two are opposed to each other, or uh, faith is just, you know, totally uh, is, is not based in anything but fantasy and, and, and imagination, that there's no foundation in truth uh, in that. And so, yeah, a lot of young people see that, well, gosh, there's you know, there's a conflict here between faith and reason, uh, faith and science. And we have to, we have to address this. Maybe this would actually be a good topic for a future show, Dina Marie, is to talk about, um, you know, uh, this, this, this perceived and incorrect 
opposition that some people see between faith and reason, faith and science. Uh, Fides' Ratio was, was a work of, I don't know if it was an encyclical or instruction, I can't remember, uh, during the pontificate of St. John Paul II, you know, to, to harmonize faith and reason. Because everything we know about science, everything we know about the universe, everything that we can come to and know is true in the scientific method and in the, in the application of human reason to the world around us, is in perfect harmony with divine wisdom, divine revelation, faith. You can't, there's only one author of all truth, whether it be scientific truth or whether it be revealed truth. There's only one author, and he can't contradict himself. And I think we get hung up and confused sometimes by uh, overly literal in, in interpretations of sacred scripture you know, where um, science tells us certain things and scripture seems to contradict what we know from science. Well, uh, the problem there is we're not approaching sacred scripture in the proper way, not that we're not approaching science in the proper way, but we're, we're, we're reading too much into scripture or we're, we're making scripture do something that it was never intended to do and it wasn't written for that purpose. I mean, if you just quickly, you know, if you... Scripture, all of the Old Testament presumes that the sun revolves around the earth. Actually, it presumes that the earth is flat, one big flat piece with a big dome over it, and above mm-hmm. the dome is, is, is the, are the heavens, and the firmament is the dome. Uh, the stars are placed in the fir- I mean, it's got this, that's the scriptural understanding of, well, we know that's not true. Scientifically, we know that's not the way the world is. But the Bible isn't trying to teach us about science. Mm-hmm. It isn't trying to teach us about the nature of the world, the planet. It's teaching a religious spiritual truth that has to use the common mind and, uh, of, of human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you know, there's no contradiction here, in other words, uh, because it's a different kind of truth that scripture teaches versus uh, what scientific truth tells us. And there's no contradiction. It can all be reconciled. So to the young people, you know, we, they really need to understand that they need to do some really deep thinking. It takes a lot of deep thinking mm-hmm. uh, and contemplation, really, to, to, to dive deep on these issues so that we don't just take a superficial view of, oh, you know, the Bible says this, the church says that, so that means that, you know, that, uh, that can't be true. Right. Well, and again, we can go to Mary's seat of wisdom to guide us in these particular times. And as we come to a close, Archbishop, would you please close with your blessing? Yes. And through the intercession of Holy Mary, our hope and the seed of wisdom, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families and loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may God bless you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.